I want us to continue on in our study of a thousand, excuse me, more than a thousand words. And these are pictures of redemption that we find in the book of Exodus concerning the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. And before I begin, I want us to open in prayer. Can we do that? Father, I ask that you would give us Holy Spirit wisdom and insight as we look at this, these stories, both in Old Testament and new, about this amazing rescue plan that you have for us. And I ask you, Lord, that your spirit would speak to our hearts and confirm truths and that, God, that you would go beyond these words and that, Father, if any of us are in need of rescue, that you would do this for your glory, for your sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to know that I love a movie that's got a good rescue plan. Of, of, you know, the, the scientist who's taken captive by the enemy, behind enemy lines, and this scientist has knowledge that can actually save the entire world, right? You know, every human life is at stake here, and so they've got to go behind enemy lines with this rescue plan, and the, the black ops guy is going in there to, to rescue them, but... What I really don't like is if that guy dies. That kind of spoils it for me. I want everybody to live, right? But sometimes he, the hero dies. I don't like that. But the truth is that a rescue plan is, I, I enjoy that in a movie. I love the intrigue and the suspense. Um, and I love, of course, the, the happy ending. Today, we're going to be looking at God's rescue plan, and we're going to see what his plan entailed in rescuing Israel from Egypt and then bringing them into the promised land. Now, I'm not going to get ahead of myself because we're just going to focus on the exodus, but the, the goal is to bring them into the promised land. Now, this is a picture then of God's redemption plan through Christ by the cross and the resurrection. And as we see these pictures, I hope that we're going to see something of that picture of God's redemptive plan through Christ under the new covenant. So let's now begin. We're going to look at how God set this rescue plan in place. In the, and we, we read about this in the book of Exodus. So I want you to turn to Exodus. What did I say? Chapter 12? Exodus chapter 12. Now, we have already learned that they have been immersed in a problem in Egypt. Now, that problem was not a, a form of punishment to the, to the nation of Israel. This was God setting in place his rescue plan. They were to be rescued from bondage. So they're slaves in Egypt. Now, we remember maybe when Joseph had them come, but an, another Pharaoh arose in Egypt and he was not favorably disposed to the Israelites because he feared that they would grow in such numbers that they would be able to turn their enemies against them, help them, and defeat the Egyptians. So you may remember they were destroying the, 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 uh, the young men, the, the boys, and God circumvented that. We hear the story of Moses. Now we saw how God raised up even Moses, in a very difficult situation. But the problem that we discovered is that Moses has his own rescue plan. 
Moses saw himself at age 40 as God's man of power for the hour, as the one who is going to go to the Hebrews, as a Hebrew himself, and either through a uh, military or through a political means, he was going to rescue the Israelites. That didn't work. He burned his bridges, so to speak, and he, he, it says that he now goes, he flees into the Midianite desert, not because of the fear of Pharaoh, but we discovered that he actually fled with faith. Hebrews 11 tells us this, by faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he's still believing God has a plan. It's not my plan, that's for sure, but he has a plan. But by the time God calls him 40 years later and begins to reveal his plan, Moses feels completely unworthy. But God needed to do something in Moses' life to prepare him for this plan. So God prepares the rescuer. There's also a rescue mission. Now, whenever you're thinking of a rescue plan, we see that there is something that they are delivered from. Then we see that there is a rescuer. Then we see that there is a mission. And then we see that there is something that they are not just delivered from, but now delivered into. He brought them out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. Now, these are all pictures, then, of the gospel under the new covenant in Jesus Christ. So we, we saw these various things, and what I want us to do is I want us to now look at what God did in this plan to bring his people out of Egypt. Number one, I want you to see there in, I told you Exodus 12. Keep your fingers there in Exodus 12, but I want you to turn back a bit to Exodus 8, verse 9, verse 19. Now, I read this last week, so this is more review, but something that we noticed is that when Moses comes into Egypt and he demands that Pharaoh release the, the Hebrews, the Hebrew slaves, Pharaoh's not inclined to do this. And so you remember, Moses lays down the, the, the staff and it becomes a serpent. And so the, the sorcerers, the Egyptian sorcerers, were able to duplicate this miracle. Then when he touches with his staff, he touches the Nile, it begins to turn into blood. But then the sorcerers were able to do the same thing. That's the first plague. The second plague, frogs begin to flood the land, and the Egyptian sorcerers were able to do the same thing. Then we come to the third plague, and it is the, the land is now filled with gnats. Now, I don't know about you, I, I hate gnats myself when they're buzzing around in your eyes and you're trying to swipe them away and you're, you're trying to focus on something and now you can't see. I hate these gnats. I'm sure these gnats were many times worse, but they were a plague that now filled all of Egypt and it says that the Egyptian sorcerers were not able to duplicate this plague. It says right here, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and would not listen, just as the Lord had said. You know, right now, what we're seeing is that God, Yahweh, is opposing Egypt. He's opposing the gods of Egypt. He's opposing Pharaoh. He's opposing the officials. And he is demonstrating to them that he is far more powerful than anything in Egypt, to the point where their sorcerers realized they could not duplicate these miracles. And as a result, they realized this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh refused to humble himself. 
God, in chapter 12, verse 12, now we see one more thing that God is doing through these plagues. So the first thing that we notice in, in God demonstrating his power, his ultimate supreme power over all of Egypt was that the sorcerers could not duplicate those miracles. The second thing is now we get a focus, a, a, an understanding of what these miracles were actually doing. Chapter 12, verse 12, it says this, on that same night, now this is the night that is now commemorated with the Passover meal, which again, we saw was a picture of something in the future called, that they called then the Passover meal. It says here, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animal. I will bring, now listen to this, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Now that's his covenantal name, I am Yahweh. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now here's what we discovered throughout these plagues, we realize that each of these plagues were actually to demonstrate the impotence, the powerlessness of, of a certain God in Egypt. I'm not gonna go through all of them, but the first one was against the Nile. The Nile had become worshiped as the God Hopi. And obviously, everything in the Nile, when it was turned to blood, died. God demonstrating his ultimate authority and power over that God. And as we go through each of the plagues, we begin to realize God is demonstrating that these, all, the, the, these foreign gods, these Egyptian gods are completely powerless. And when we come to plague number nine, do you remember that one? The darkness. Their most powerful God that they believed was Ra, the sun god. And that God had no place as God brought darkness over the land. And then the last plague, the firstborn, even Pharaoh's firstborn died. And in Egypt, they looked to the Pharaoh as a God, but he was completely powerless to keep his son, his firstborn son from dying. And it came to the point where it says that he drove them out. But I want us to see that God was demonstrating to the Hebrews, to the Egyptians, who he was as Yahweh, as the ever-present one. He has this plan, and God is demonstrating that he has all power, all authority. Now, when we move into the new covenant, this is exactly what we find concerning Jesus. It says in, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus is about to ascend to the Father and he's giving these last instructions to his disciples. And remember what he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is declaring as the son of God, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And with this authority, I am now delegating this charge to you. Go and make disciples. This is the essence and the heart and the soul of the kingdom. Jesus came to rescue us, but he rescued us to pass on to us that rescue plan. And so Jesus is demonstrating that he has all authority. In Acts 4.12, it says this, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name 
under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, I realize that we live in a day right now in which we are challenged to tolerate other religions. It's something that they call tolerance, all right? And in this concept of tolerance, we are asked to not only respect those who believe differently, but we are actually encouraged never to speak against them. See, this isn't what tolerance was years ago. Tolerance years ago was, you know, we love them, we disagree with them, and we by no means embrace their religion, but we respect them and we refuse to coerce them to believe as we do, because we realize that this has got to be a work of the Spirit of God. And so the, the concept of tolerance was understood this way. That concept of tolerance in our day has changed. It means that we not only respect them, but we are willing to actually embrace as a possible truth among many truths, of course. The word of God makes it real, very clear. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. No, no matter if it's Muhammad or Hare Krishna or Buddha or anyone, no one can rescue us. No one has been commissioned by God to be the rescuer but Jesus himself. The Bible declares he is the son of God. He came with this plan. He was the one who implemented the plan for us to be rescued. The problem, though, in our day is that this has just become one truth among many personal truths, relative truths, not absolute truths. You have your truth, I have my truth. You can embrace your truth, and that's fine. Your truth is your truth, but my truth is my truth. And, and there is this misunderstanding of what truth is. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the only way for us to be saved. This is not a popular teaching in our day. Jesus, Scripture makes so clear, has all authority in heaven and on earth. Number two, I want us to see that Pharaoh, who is the enemy, was broken and defeated. In Exodus 12, look at this, Exodus 12, 29. It says, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon. And then it's skipping down, it says, verse 31, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also, also bless me. And he realized in the agony and the pain that he had been through at midnight, his son had been struck down dead and he was powerless to stop this. That the God of the Hebrews, the one true God, had stepped into his land and was destroying each of his gods and revealing that he was the only true God. And as he did this, God broke the back of the enemy. 
Now, as we move into the new covenant, we need to realize this is exactly what God has done through Jesus Christ. Our enemy is the devil. He comes to deceive us. He comes to lead us astray. He wants as many people to be, to be, uh, to, to be joining him in hell as possible. And God had to break the back, had to destroy the plan of the enemy. In 1 John 3, 8, it says this. It says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I want you to turn with me to John 12, 31. Under the new covenant now, we see the fulfillment of this picture of God destroying the works of Satan himself. Satan is the one who has deceived us. Satan is the one who has by sin enslaved us to do his will. It is his kingdom of darkness that we have been bound in, that God's rescue plan is to free us from. It says here in John 12, verse 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. Just like in the old covenant when God was bringing judgment upon the land of Egypt. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And that word phrase, driven out, is the typical Greek word, ekbalo, which means to cast out, just like you would cast a demon out. Satan would be cast out. Something is going to happen to the prince of this world, who is Satan, in which he will be rendered powerless. In what way? Listen to this. Listen to the next verse. It says this, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And so we see here a picture of the power of the cross, not just breaking the back of sin, but now breaking the back of the enemy, the devil, in which he is rendered powerless to a degree. We need to see that Satan's defeat is something that happened at the cross. It is something that happens in your life every day that we're going to look at later, not today, next week. And then there is an ultimate destruction in which he is cast into the lake of fire, the second death, which is hell. This is Satan's defeat. Now, I want you to now turn to Colossians 2.15. Excuse me. And in Colossians 2.15, it says, And having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, just like a conquering king would ride through his city with a train of captives behind him, chained to one another. Generally, many times those chains were through the nose, so you absolutely did not want to try and escape from that. But he would lead them in this triumphant procession through the city to demonstrate to the people, I have conquered our enemy. Look at our captives. And the Bible says that this is exactly what Jesus has done for our enemy, the devil. He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the power of the cross. Now, here is the power of the cross demonstrated in your life. It is this sin that has captivated us that now by the power of the cross, by the power of canceled sin against us, that sin is now rendered powerless and we can walk away 
in freedom, in Christ, whereas before we could not. It held us fast. It was like chains that bound us. We were unable to walk in freedom, but now in Christ, we can. This is the power, the destructive power of the cross over the enemy. In Matthew 12, Jesus talks about the spirit of God coming with the kingdom of God. And he says that a strong man is bound. And there, once he's bound, he, his house can be plundered. And that Greek word house, he had just used to talk about Satan or, or rather a kingdom, a kingdom divided against itself, a city divided against itself, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And now here we get this picture that Satan's house is being plundered. He is, as the strong man is being bound and his house will be plundered. His house is his kingdom. And now by the power of the cross, we can share the gospel and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So what I'm saying is that when the, when this rescue plan is implemented in people's lives, they can be freed from the power of the enemy. And with the very truth that freed them, they can walk in that freedom that we're going to talk about this next week, but we can walk in this freedom. The, the problem, though, that many of us have is that we don't altogether believe this. We don't altogether believe this is what God has truly done in Christ through the cross. Can you imagine if the black ops soldier came into that facility where you're held captive to free you. And when he finally arrived, and it takes the whole movie for him to get there, right? All of these perils that he's facing. And when he finally arrives and he's ready to free you, you say, oh, I was having a great time here. I don't want you to free me. I was kind of camping out here a little bit. This is kind of like my summer home, right? I'm enjoying this, you know. Not only do they feed me bread and water, but now they're throwing in a little bit of meat. I'm kind of liking it here. Now, I tell you what, I think I'm going to stay here. But this is exactly what happens with many people who hear the gospel. And they hear this truth that can set them free, but they choose to say no. Many are caught in their sin, whether it would be alcohol or drugs. Many of them are, are caught in wounds that were inflicted on them when they were kids. And the hurt and the bitterness, all of this, they make the choice, I don't want that freedom. They want to stay exactly where they are because we need to realize as they do that there's a cost and this cost means that I'm willing to turn my back on the things of the world and follow Jesus. All right? I want us to look at our last picture here and this is Egypt's devastation. And we're going to see an amazing application, I think, as we move into the New Covenant. But Exodus, turn with me to Exodus 10.15. Exodus 10.15, we see what these plagues have actually done to Egypt. It's devastated Egypt. All 10 of these plagues, one after the other, has 
devastated Egypt. And it says here in, in 15, it says they, the, referring to the locusts, it says they covered the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, as if the hail hadn't done enough damage, right? Anything that was left after the hail, it was destroyed. Everything in the fields and, on the, fru- and, in the, and the fruit on the trees, nothing green remained on tree or plant. Nothing, church, nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. Egypt was devastated. Now I want to read something to you. And this is actually a document that they discovered by an Egyptian by the name of Ipuwer. Now Ipuwer was a, a writer. They don't know a whole lot about him, but they, ha- they realized that he wrote sometime, and if I could put a date to it, about the time of the Exodus. Now I want to read to you what he says And I want you, because it describes a time in which Egypt had been devastated. This is what he writes. Nay, but the heart is violent. Plague stalks through the land and blood is everywhere. Nay, but the the river is blood. Does a man drink from it? As a human, he rejects it. He thirsts for water. Nay, but gates, columns, and walls are consumed with fire. Nay, but men are few. He that lays his brother in the ground is everywhere. Nay, but the son of the highborn man is no longer to be recognized. The stranger people from outside, and we're going to look at that at another time and who those people might be, but the stranger people from outside are coming to Egypt. Nay, but corn has perished everywhere. People are stripped of clothing, perfume, and oil. Everyone is saying there is no more. The storehouse is bare. It has come to this. The king has been taken away by poor men. Many believe that that would be a picture of what God did in the destruction, the devastation that God brought upon the land of Egypt. But it didn't stop there. Turn just a few pages because in in Revelation, excuse me, in Exodus 12, he goes on to say in verse 35, the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed to the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. So not only was the land devastated, but the people themselves were devastated. Now we need to realize that in the, this picture now, when we move into the new covenant, it is a picture of devastation. It is a picture that God needs us to see that Jesus actually in the very first beatitude reveals to us. Do you remember what that first beatitude is? Blessed are? It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How does that relate? What Jesus in essence is saying there is when you are poor in spirit, when you are In poverty, when you are spiritually bankrupt, you have nothing. The problem, though, is that we don't realize just how spiritually bankrupt we are. And Jesus, in essence, is saying when you realize how spiritually bankrupt you are, that apart from God, you have nothing, then you realize that only he is the answer until you realize the Egyptian bondage, so to speak, that you are in, you cannot be free from it. Until you recognize the rescuer and say, yes, help me, you cannot be rescued. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I want to ask you, 
and those of you online, do you recognize how poor spiritually you are? God created you in this to have this amazing relationship with you. God created you to be able to bring life to you. That was the whole purpose of the Garden of Eden. They would actually live forever, that they would be in right relationship with God. They would experience this abundant life. But man chose to do it his way. Man chose to rebel against God. That's what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. It's not called anything. It's rebellion against God. And so we realize then that because of my rebellion, my sin, I am separated from this life of God. Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden. We too, as sinners, we have been separated from that fellowship, from that life of God. God offers us life. He offers us life through this rescue plan, through the cross and through the resurrection. And until we come to this place where we are willing to be rescued, we will remain in our dungeon. We'll remain in the slavery that we find ourselves in. We'll remain in the rebellion. Jesus has a rescue plan. We, we recently were watching with my grandkids John Bunyan's, kind of an updated version, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And I, I really enjoy the scene where he is ascending this hill and, he, and, and you see the picture of this cross and he's ascending the hill. The, the weight of the burden on his back actually gets heavier. And that burden, of course, represents his spiritual poverty. That, that burden represents the sin that is weighing upon him. And he realizes that this burden is beyond his ability to bear and he continues to move forward. And as he does, there is at one point in which that burden falls off and he is freed from it forever. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever had that burden released from your back? Have you ever had that burden of sin lifted from you? Have you experienced that freedom? Because that is God's rescue plan, to pull you out of that, to be able to experience this new life in Christ. And so this picture that we see of Israel being set free from Egypt is a beautiful picture then of us under Christ, under the new covenant, being rescued from our slavery, from our addiction to sin, to be able to experience the freedom and that life that is in Christ. You know, just this past week, we got some absolutely amazing news. And I figured, you know, since you shared it with everybody in the church, I'm just going to remind you. But we've been praying for TJ for years, right? And TJ has gone through a really difficult time. Now, I'm not going to, I'm going to just let you know this. He grew up hearing the gospel. TJ grew up seeing that in people's lives. TJ grew up hearing it. TJ grew up, even as he was now going off into um, the Marines boot camp, he knew how hard this was going to be. And God put things, allowed things to happen in his life in which he was reading the Bible regularly. 
he began to recognize this need and that God was the only one that could really meet that need. And he came to the place very recently, last week, whenever it was, in which he was going through what's called the crucible. So it's three days of, it it's simulates wartime stress and you come to the end of yourself. And he came to the end of himself. And he recognized that he desperately needed God. And he cried out to the Lord to rescue him. He said, okay, you know what? It, it's time. I, I need you to set me free. And as he surrendered his heart, that's what God chose to do. Now, I, I don't know TJ's heart, but I'm going to encourage us to continue to pray for him because he still has a whole lot of time left in the Marines. But this is a picture of what God does. This is an example of, of God's rescue plan implemented and so that TJ would be set free. We've been praying so much for him. And God, through several months actually, has been preparing and moving him forward to this point. Just like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, finally moving forward to that cross at the top of the hill and what that stands for. And then finally, the burden being released from his back, set free to experience the abundant life that Adam, Eve, all of us were created to experience, but only in Christ, who is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. God's rescue plan is through the cross and through the resurrection. God's rescue plan is the abundant life that he offers us, the breaking of the bondage of sin, but we cannot experience it unless we ask him to set us free. And so I just, I'm gonna conclude with this. I wanna ask you, have you been set free as you're listening, have you been set free? Have you asked Jesus to come and rescue you? Have you asked Jesus to free you from your bondage? Because that's where you're at. Every single person. See, I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't realize just how in bondage to sin I was. I didn't realize the death that I was experiencing. I was a good kid. I, I cussed every now and then, okay? but I didn't do drugs. I didn't do alcohol. But you know what? I was a sinner lost in my sin, just like the prostitute on Orange Blossom Trail. I was lost just as much as she or the drug dealer himself. That was me. And see, for, uh, for many of us, it is so hard for us to see ourselves as the sinner, the spiritually bankrupt that we really are. But until we do, we will not recognize that need that we have to be set free. So today, let's say, Jesus, rescue me. The Bible challenges and promises that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be set free. That is his rescue plan. That is the purpose that he has you here to experience that abundant life, that life in Jesus' name, and to continue on in that rescue mission that we're going to talk about another day. I want to ask you then, right now, would you be willing to have him rescue you. I want to pray for you right now. And wherever you're listening or here, the Bible, all you have to do is cry out to him to rescue you. 
I'm not going to walk you through a prayer. Let the Spirit of God stir that cry in your heart so that as you cry out to him to rescue you from where you are at to see that sin broken. The Bible says the old man crucified, the old white Curtis dead. Pray that he does that for you. Pray with me. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would move in our midst and those hearing that, Lord, that they would, they would finally get it, that, Lord, your gospel, your rescue plan is for them. And I just ask you, Lord, that you would do that right now as they call out to you, as they cry out to you to, to set them free. Father, would you do this? Set captives free. You are strong enough. There is no sin you can't forgive and no shame that you cannot remove. Do this, Father, for them, regardless of their situation, drugs and alcohol, or just a sinner like me, so lost, grown up in a Christian home, but without Jesus. Right now, God, stir in hearts to cry out to you and rescue many for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, God bless you. So glad you can join us this morning. Look forward to seeing you guys Wednesday night. But until then, love you.